Zechariah uh, chapter 3. This is a, um, a prophecy that God gives us concerning the rebuilding of the temple. It was a time where the temple was uh, to be rebuilt, and this comes after the prophecy of Haggai. And we've, we've been through a study of Haggai just prior, and this follows on um, the end of what happened after Haggai. Hear the word of the Lord, Zechariah uh, chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the Lord, before the, the angel. Um, he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothe him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts. I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are a great symbol. For behold, I am going to bring my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are several eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove iniquity of that land in one day. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Let us pray. We ask our beloved Lord that you would help us uh, to receive and to believe the wonderful truths of this holy prophecy given unto Zechariah. And we ask that you would allow us to believe in that wonderful, great, and blessed exchange that you have accomplished through faith in Christ to take our sin, that filthy garment of sin, away and to grant unto us the clothing of Christ's righteousness. Lord, help us, we pray, to understand and believe this prophecy and how it speaks to that blessed Lord Jesus, the promised branch, the Messiah. For we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, some, may be, some may be mistaken that a whole lot of what we read in what the Holy Spirit revealed to Zechariah is not really applying unto us. They, we might have a struggle in wondering how does this all apply to us. A lot of what we, we study um, in this prophecy has already been done away with in, in Christ. Um, just a few examples. Uh, the temple has been torn down 
and it has not been, been rebuilt. And I believe God has reasons for why the temple has not been rebuilt. Um, the main reason is that Christ is the ultimate final sacrifice. He is that promised pure Lamb of God. Why, as Christians, would you want the, re- the temple to be rebuilt and animal sacrifices to resume? Praise God that it's not. Um, the Jewish people can no longer make those sacrifices, and because they can no longer make those sacrifices, they no longer have an office of priest. They have rabbis still, but they no longer have a priest or high priest. Here we have a, the high priest, Joshua. Now, you might wonder about the name Joshua. Um, I guess in, in Hebrew it would be pronounced Yeshua, which is also the, the name of Christ. Uh, Christ is called Yeshua. But here, this Joshua the high priest is a, a historical character that I believe that it's, uh, some would say that represents the people of Israel and their being, uh, coming out of exile and returning to the promised land. But it's also, today's text, is a glorious picture of the holy gospel of Christ, of something called the great exchange, or what others would call a double imputation, um, when we look a little bit uh, more at that. that. Again, that second temple was done away with. It, was, it, was, it has passed away, and the office of priesthood has passed away. Uh, I have there in your outline, Westminster Charter Catechism 25, it rightly says that Christ executed the office of a priest and his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. There's no longer a priesthood, no longer a temple for the Christian. So then what good does the prophecy of Zechariah have for us? And we'll look and see that more and more. Keep in mind, whenever you read a book of prophecy, even though some of the things it pertains to has passed away, a a very important passage, which is also written in your outline, is from Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. There's a beautiful, glorious hope of Christ to be found in today's text and it was written concerning him even hundreds of years before he came into the world of Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, Some uh, scholars say that Zechariah was both a prophet and a priest, which is somewhat unique. Um, Most of them were not prophets and priests. Uh, He was, again, a contemporary of Haggai, but he continued to minister long after Haggai. Now, uh, God, through the prophet Zechariah, gave some special attention to this Joshua the high priest. In verse 1, gives us a little context of Joshua the high priest, and he's standing before the angel of the Lord, um, you could say maybe he was ministering before the Lord, uh, maybe in his work as high priest. Um, but I would say possibly the way the language goes, it seems to be more of a court trial of sorts. He's got the angel of the Lord standing beside him, beside him and then he's got the accuser also accusing him, and then he's got his, later on we read about his friends being with him as well. Um, let's... Uh, before we look at a little bit more um, 
of what's going on of, of Zechariah's life. I want us to turn to Zechariah 4. It gives us a little bit more, I guess, a, a little bit more of a background. Zechariah uh, 4, verse 8, says, Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Um, for uh, For who has despised the day of small things, or some would say, some translations might say, the day of small beginnings. Um, one thing that was going to be a proof that this vision, that this prophecy truly came to Zechariah, was that Zerubbabel, who was the governor at the time, was going to finish the temple. At the time when this was written, the temple was not yet finished. But it was by the end of the life of Zerubbabel and possibly by the end of the life of Zechariah, we would have a finished temple in that time of history. Now the vision, again, is of this court trial with Joshua and his friends sitting and the accuser. You could say that the angel of the Lord, maybe he's considered as his advocate while he has uh, this prosecuting attorney as the accuser, uh, which is Satan. The main focus for today's text is that God wants us to witness and receive the great exchange of God's salvation. We'll see this in two main points, the removal of filthy garments, and secondly, the giving of clean, festal garments. That's garments for a festival. Let's look at first at the removal of filthy garments. Notice first that Zechariah said something about Joshua's filthy garments. Look at verses 1 through 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. This is not only speaking of the condition of of Joshua. This is speaking of the condition of every other priest who's ever lived and the condition of every other human being who has ever lived and born into this world by what we call ordinary generation, by natural generation. If you've descended by natural birth from a mother and a father, that's natural generation, you have a sin nature and you were born into this world as a sinner. By nature, you were born with filthy garments of sin. Um, the only one who's born of an abnormal generation or a unique generation is Christ because he was born not of a human father. He was born and conceived by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Joshua was not the only one having Satan accuse him before the Lord. Again, that word Satan here could be translated as accuser. Remember, you go back to Job 1. Job was accused by Satan. Um, that the accu- I'm sorry, the accuser of, the, of Job went even before the Lord to accuse him before the Lord. And I would say that everyone who does not have Christ as your Savior, you still have that accuser of the brethren accusing you and giving a very valid accusation that when he brings your sin before you and when he brings your sin before the Lord, the Lord recognizes and say, yep, that's a valid accusation. 
he is filthy, he is sinful, and he is wicked, and he is deserving of, of hell. But those who have Christ as their advocate, as their Savior, do not have that. And we'll look a little bit more at that later. Notice the Lord's rebuke of Satan and his mercy upon Joshua. At verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? I prefer the word uh, maybe log, a log or a branch plucked from the fire. Um, The word brand is not something that we we know of or use, but that's an old word for a log or a branch. Imagine that you have this fire burning and you have a bunch of logs in the fire and they're all on fire and then someone plucks uh, a couple, one or two logs out of that fire and instead of burning it, maybe he carves off the, uh, the charcoal and then he makes something beautiful out of it. That's what happened with Joshua. But also that's the... That's the condition, the natural state apart from God's grace. We're all destined for the fire unless God plucks us out. Because of sin, we're all destined for hellfire unless God's grace intervenes and that we are plucked from that fire. Verse 4, it gives more of this work of grace upon Joshua. Look at verse 4. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. This points to the future work of what the Messiah has done for Christians. By the blood of Christ, we have been washed clean, that those filthy garments of sin have been taken from us. Zechariah foretold the coming of the Messiah, and he he mentions a very interesting name in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Now listen. Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are assembled. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. This is a messianic title. Um, The savior of the elect described as the branch. Now you might think of some maybe more glorious names for the the savior of all uh, the elect rather than a branch, but there are passages of Scripture that talk about the glories and wonders of Jesus Christ, the branch. Um, two of them I put there in your outline. Uh, the first is Isaiah 53, 2. This term, a branch, refers to him um, of his humility. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Here he's not really a branch. He's more like a little tiny twig, shoot, sticking up out of the ground. Uh, But in Jeremiah 23, 4, the branch is used in reference to his glorious, righteous reign. Jeremiah 23, verse 4. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, who has long died, uh, for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Jesus, uh, the Messiah, um, who was yet to be born, uh, was, is often referred to in close relation with David. He's often called the son of David. Both David's son and David's Lord, the righteous holy branch. Getting back to Zechariah chapter 3, 
um, verse 9 goes on to say that how the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of armies of heaven, he says, I will remove the iniquity of that land, you could say the promised land, in one day. This clearly speaks to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In that one day of his crucifixion, he bore the sin of many as he bore them on the cross. When Jesus was on that cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason he said that was because he bore the sins of the elect and the, the father could not look upon his son but turned away. He was forsaken so that the elect would be accepted. Jesus Christ bore the sins of the iniquity of many on that one day, which means that if you confess your sins, that Christ removes your iniquity. Every man, woman, and child who confesses their sins and embraces Jesus Christ, confesses him as Lord and Savior, turns from their sins, will have their iniquity removed through the perfect work of Christ. And we know that God blessed that, cruci- that accepted sacrifice and that he raised Jesus from the dead and that he caused Christ to ascend into the heavens where Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father. Now, you might say that's a glorious salvation, isn't it? That's a glorious promise of salvation of how God removed the iniquity of, of the elect. But that's not all. That's only half the story, according to today's text. The second half of his glorious work of salvation is mentioned there in the giving of clean festal garments. God does this for all who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the second half of verse 4 and and then 5. And he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a, a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. See, it's not enough to just have your sins removed. You have to have a positive righteousness. You have to have not only your sins forgiven, but you have to have that positive righteousness that's mentioned in in, um, certain texts like we talked about this morning in our assurance of pardon and reading of the Holy Law. Remember in uh, Matthew 22, 35 and following, we're commanded that we're not just to only keep the commandments of thou shalt not, but there's a thou shalt. And the thou shalt here is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Christ has done that. And he accounts, uh, Scripture says that he accounts, he reckons, God accounts, reckons, or gives, or considers that righteousness of Christ as your clothing, the garments of Christ. When you read in Revelation about those clothed in white robes, uh, they're clothed in white robes, festal robes for a festival, for a marriage of the Lamb, and they're given those robes by Christ. Some other uh, passages talk about being washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. But we'll look at this, this notion here of God giving us clean festal robes. If you confess your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior and repent of your sins, 
God removes those filthy garments and he clothes you with the clean festal robes. Uh, Isaiah 61.10 speaks of that. You have that in your outline. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Now, if you attempt to go to the wedding feast of the Lamb, dressed in your own garments, um, instead, you will be bound hand and foot and thrown into outer darkness. You will not be allowed to stay, according to Matthew 22. Scripture says that you must have the righteousness of another given to you by faith. Not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of another. And the very important passage, keep your place in Zechariah, but turn to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, starting in verse 2. Paul says here, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the zeal of the law, a Pharisee, as uh, to zeal... Um, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count them all to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. If you think in your outward obedience to the law that you can compare to that of the Apostle Paul, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. If Paul was not good enough by his obedience, you will not be good enough by your obedience. Uh, Paul uh, here goes and says that his obedience and the law of God was insufficient how can you think that yours is sufficient in God's sight? That's arrogant. Uh, Paul even says that his righteousness, which came from the law, which some would have counted as being blameless, he counts it as rubbish. Uh, another way to translate this would be garbage. You have to say, like Paul, I am found in him not having a righteousness of my own, but by faith, 
I have a righteousness of another which is found through Christ. That is the great exchange. That the Lord Jesus suffered and died for, a, for sins that were not his own to in turn give a righteousness to you which is not your own either if you receive it by faith. Now for someone to say, ah, oh, well, I know you talked to me about this Lord Jesus and how I need the Lord Jesus, but I'm a good person. Here, I'm, and I'm going to tell you how I'm a good person. I, 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 haven't, I haven't cursed in the last uh, few days and, uh, you know... I haven't looked at too many women lately or whatever. Well, what about the fourth commandment uh, of keeping the Lord's day holy? What about taking the Lord's name in vain? What about the many other ways? What about loving the Lord your God as you, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? What about loving your neighbor as yourself? For someone to say, I don't need Jesus because I'm already a good person, is like saying that I don't need the pearl of great price who... God is offering to me, I want to hold on to a piece of rotting, putrid fruit instead of the pearl of great price. They reject the perfect gift of Jesus and instead they want to trust in filthy garments. Another key verse um, already in your outline there is 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21 which says, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled so that you would have peace with God. How do you do that? What's the gospel you must believe in? He, the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we must believe to, to understand the full scope of what the gospel accomplishes. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Have his righteousness accounted, reckoned to us, not our own. And I, I told this to some Roman Catholic family in the past, and you know the, the classic accusation. Oh, if that's true, if the gospel, if that's what the gospel teaches, people could live any way that they want, is what they might say, right? I don't know if you've ever heard that, but today's text doesn't agree with that, does it? Look back at uh, Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3, um, verse 6. By God doing this, <coughs> excuse me, by God doing this work in the life of Joshua, the high priest, this is what God had called him to, verse 6. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. If you're a Christian you profess the gospel, what he demands of you is that you walk in his ways and that you perform his service. If you say you believe the gospel and you don't worship the Lord, and you don't seek to serve the Lord and, and worship him, I, I question I, I question someone who doesn't want to ever worship the Lord. I guess in the first century, you had Christians who were willing to suffer and die for their faith. They had to worship in the catacombs 
with fear of being impaled by the Romans and by being put to death or thrown into the Colosseum uh, where they would be uh, killed by gladiators or by wild animals or all, all such sorts of things. If people could not be kept from worship with even the threat of death, how could you not want to worship the Lord your God when given the freedom to do so? Part of the contingency here of, of a true worshiper of the Lord is that you will walk in his ways and that you will perform his service. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. God calls you to witness and receive the great exchange of this glorious gospel. Through Christ and through his perfect blood, he removes those filthy garments, but he also clothes you, if you receive him by faith, he clothes you with clean, festal garments, garments for the festival for that glorious wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, the angel of the Lord mentioned in today's text, I believe this is a theophany. Very often when we see the angel of the Lord, same angel of the Lord mentioned that wrestles with uh, uh, Jacob, when uh, Jacob uh, wrestles with the angel of the Lord, he's, it's mentioned as the angel of the Lord, whose name is Wonderful. But here, we have this angel of the Lord acting as an advocate. The ultimatum of the gospel is this. Do you want Jesus Christ as your advocate? Or do you want to remain under the accusation of Satan? Either have embraced Jesus by faith and believe upon him, or continue to be under the accusation of Satan. One last passage to close with. This is beautiful uh, mentioning of the accuser being cast down. And this is what is yours if you have faith in Christ. Look at Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verse 10. Revelation 12, 10 says that, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. What accusation, if you are in Christ, can Satan throw at you or to what accusation can Satan throw against you before the Lord if you're clothed with righteous garments of Christ if your filthy garments have been removed God no longer sees your sin he sees the righteousness of Christ if you receive him by faith that is the glorious beautiful exchange let us pray we do ask, O oh Father, that you would help us to receive these things. That we would trust in Christ that he has removed from us by his perfect blood and righteousness, by his perfect work on the cross, the guilt of our sin, those filthy garments of sin. But then by his perfect obedience and by faith, Lord, we pray that you would clothe us with the very righteousness of Christ, that holy, blessed obedience of Christ. 
Help us, we pray, to have that testimony that we do not have a righteousness of our own, but we have this righteousness of Christ by faith accounted and reckoned unto us. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit that you would help us and that you would enable us to be obedient, to walk in your ways, and to do your service, to follow you. Even, we pray, that we would not even love our lives, even if faced with death for the sake of our beloved Christ, our Lord. Help us, we pray, not to live for ourselves, but to live for him who died for us. We pray if there's any who have not received this wonderful salvation by faith, Lord, that you would work in them by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would convince them and and convict them by your word and that they may receive this glorious, great exchange that you offer through Christ our Lord. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing unto the Lord 460. Thy works, not mine, O Christ. Let's stand and sing 460. Thy works, not mine.